this year we're working on Gather, Grow, and Go, and we're in the middle of Grow. And we're so excited. I know Pastor David talked about how we've bought property and we're going to be celebrating. And all this year, the next year, and the year after that, we're going to be meeting lots of new faces, lots of new people. And I want to make sure that our heart is right and prepared to welcome people that are seeking, to welcome people that are searching, to welcome people that are hurting, to welcome people that are disillusioned with God. And that takes us being, having our hearts prepared and our hearts right to be able to welcome them and put them in an environment that they can come into contact with the living God. Amen? Amen. I want to start this morning with a story. I don't want to share this story. Um, and I didn't actually share it in the first service. But I feel like I'm supposed to. And this is... This experience that I had as a child is what brought about the sermon that we're going to hear today. We're in the series of Knowing God. And something that happened to me when I was a child was before my sister was born. That got me to thinking as an adult about how we get so far from the heart of God. As Christians, as people that profess to know God and love God. How do we get sometimes so far in the things that we do, the things that we embrace, the actions that we take? What made me start thinking about this is I remembered an incident when I was a child, and it was, I would say it was the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to me. I was about seven or eight, and my father was a pastor. My mother was the pastor's wife. We were the pastor's kids. We were in a Quaker church. And my father always had a heart for people. Always welcomed them, always loved them. It didn't matter what color they were. It didn't matter. Remember, this was in the 60s. It didn't matter what their family situation was. It just didn't matter. He loved people. And one night, my father got all of us children and brought us down to the living room. And I, we were sleeping. It was the middle of the night. But... As time went on, I could, I could hear shouting. I could hear yelling. And I could hear, like, cars doing, like, the donuts in the yard, that type of sound. Some of you have seen it on TV. And minutes went by. It probably was just minutes. It seemed longer as a child. And I remember starting to, to feel afraid, really afraid. And I heard crackling crackling sound and then I smelled smoke and so my sisters and I when my mom wasn't looking we got closer to the window because she was frantic and trying to help my dad so we got closer to the window there was this huge cross in our front yard that was lit on fire and it was blazing and burning and I was terrified my sisters and I, my brother was very young. We were so afraid. My father and mother never went out, never confronted the people that were out there. But I remember looking out the window and I saw, of course, white hoods over faces. So we never knew who it was at the time. And I smelled smoke stronger and stronger. So my father came over to us and tried to calm us down because... My mom wasn't handling it as well as my father was. 
And she wasn't shrieking, but she wasn't making us feel comforted at the time. And I understand. It was the scariest night of my life. Finally, eventually, I don't know how long it lasted, time was moving so slowly. I heard the cars and the trucks drive away. The fire burned down. And my father put us all back in bed. And as the years went by, we'd find out more bits and pieces about who those people were. What were they doing? What possessed them to do such a thing to a local pastor? I know that this particular group of, of, of men did not like the way my father was working with people in the community. People of, of different colors, different economic backgrounds. And that, that was their way of helping God protect some kind of idea in their mind of purity or something. Found out even later that some of those men were believers, professed to be believers. And they genuinely thought that what they were doing was the right thing. And I don't, I probably am guessing that none of, nobody else in here has had that experience. Maybe you have. But I'm here to tell you it's terrifying. And what's also terrifying is to think that people that claim to know God could have gotten so far removed from the Father's heart that this was okay, that this was embraced, that this was something that they did. They actually gathered the wood. They actually bought the accelerant. They actually put the hoods on. They actually drove to a young pastor's home with children and did that. And in their eyes, it was totally justified. So that started me thinking about what are things that I do? What are things that we do as believers that have nothing to do with the heart of God? But in our mind, it makes sense. So that's kind of the impetus behind the sermon this morning. And so it won't all be so shocking. I'm going to try to lighten it up a bit, pull it out of the deep dive. But I don't know why I felt like I needed to share that story in this service, but there you go. And God will use it this morning for his glory to set someone free this morning. So let's begin with something that we all know to be true about God. For this is how God loved the world. This is how he loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world. That's God's heart. We're talking this month about knowing God. We want to know God. We start here. That God's heart is to save mankind. God's heart is to reach out to those who don't know him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. This is such a beautiful verse. But it's hard for people to leave this verse unadorned. We want to add something to it. We want to put extra things attached to that because it's hard to believe that this could be so true about God, that he loves us so much, that he's willing to do this for us and for people that are far away from him. So as I was thinking about the incident in my childhood, as I'm thinking about 
this verse, I think about ways that I have been like those people in my home that morning. I think about ways that I am like, the Bible called them Pharisees. Now, for, for those of us today, when we hear the word Pharisee, we, we were shocked because we know a Pharisee is a bad thing. They were men that were scrupulous to obey the law of Moses, and nothing wrong with that back in their day. But they loved the law so much, and they thought they needed to help God so much that they added hundreds of their own rules to go along with the 600 rules and laws of Moses that guided the nation of Israel. They thought it was their job to help God. Let's, let's start with this. We raise the bar unnecessarily for others to come to Jesus. Now, my husband usually does my props, and he's done some extraordinary props over the years. Does anybody remember that eight-foot giant that we used one time that was Dave? Does anybody remember that? That was cute. Yeah. I say, honey, this is what I need, and he builds it. Well, he was on the camping trip this weekend, so I was left to my own devices. Now, if he had been here, there would have been a beautiful fence on one side, because that's my second point, and there would have been a wonderful high jump on this side, because this is my first point. But instead... We have a mop handle taken from a mop that's rarely been used. This is our high jump this morning. And please, yes, this is it. So who had the high jump in their middle school growing up? High jump and long jump were my favorite. I loved it. I was never the winner, but I loved it. So you all know how it works. You start the, the bar low and you keep raising it and raising it and raising it and raising it until there's only a few a faithful jumpers left, and they win the prize. Well, that's what the Pharisees were. They were the all-time spiritual high jumpers, and they only wanted to be around other spiritual high jumpers. So they kept adding rules to protect God's laws, but the problem was nobody could follow the rules, nobody, and themselves included, even though Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and if anybody could do it, he would have been able to do it. But they thought they were trying to help God, and they would add rules unnecessarily. So when Jesus comes along, does away with all the rules that they had been carefully trying to follow for centuries, it about gave them an aneurysm. They were so upset with him that eventually we know they yelled, crucify him. They were the ones that rounded people up and said, we're going to kill him. Because Jesus came along. In John, John it says, John 10, 10, it says, Jesus came enjoying life, enjoying life, having a good time, being with the people. And the Pharisees couldn't stand that. They didn't like the fact that Jesus came and said, I'm rewriting all the rules. Now the bar is me. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And all those other rules that you guys have been following are not necessary anymore. And they could not stand that. They could not stand the fact that Jesus ignored all the rules that they had made up that said, you're the spiritual elite. You're the spiritual high jumpers. Jesus ignored all that, and they couldn't stand it. So I think about what I do unnecessarily to make people keep people from God. Um, the, the one thing about 
someone that's that spiritual, someone that, that adds all these other things before you can come to God or adds all these other things now that you have come to God. It's quite impressive. It's quite impressive to have someone that's that disciplined, that's that focused. It's kind of like how you would feel if, if someone climbed Mount Everest. That's an impressive thing to do, right? I mean, we're in awe that they have the discipline. We're in awe that they have the, the courage. We're in awe that they have all these things. But I'm not going to sign up to do it myself. It's just too much. And one thing I've noticed um, in Christian circles now is it seems like, as, as wrong as we know what the Pharisees did, it seems like sometimes we kind of have our own rules that we're adding. Groups that if you want to belong to that group, you have to give so much and live a certain way. Groups that you have to go and dig wells or groups that you have to go and tutor. or Groups that we add all these things. All these things are good. Should we dig wells? Should we tutor? Should we live simply? Should we do? Yes. But they're not rules in Scripture. And so when we add our own little spin to it, it makes it hard for people to be a part of what we're doing. Deeper study, more evangelism, tutoring, um, any number of things that are seen today as a true disciple, a genuine Christian. I, when we first got married, and we've been married for four decades, the first two of them, now not even the first year, you think I would have learned my lesson, right? Not even the, the first decade. I still kept doing it because I love to read and I love anything written, any, anything spoken. I just love words. I love the alphabet. It's, it's crazy. It's like, it's insane. But I thought that my husband should be the same way. If I loved reading because that's the way I'm wired, if I love studying because that's the way I'm wired, I thought he should too. So I bought him if I had the money I have spent on that man, buying him books that he never even opened, he was so appreciative he never cracked the spine on those books. He didn't want to mess them up. He wanted to save my gift to him. He is not wired that way. He's action-oriented. He wants to do something with his hands. Let's make it fun. And I'm content to sit with a book in my hand in the shade. I'm perfectly happy. But no, I needed to make him Love the things that I love, have the gifting that I have, and it doesn't work that way. God didn't send Jesus to raise the bar or weed out losers. He came to turn us, who were enemies of God, into sons and daughters. I love that. There is a cost to following Jesus, and I'm not saying that there isn't. There's a cost, but I don't expect someone that's just learning about Christ, someone that's just, I just, I don't quite understand, but I'm interested. I'm thirsty. I want, I want to, I want to come and sit. I want to talk with someone. I want to have time to think about it. I don't expect that person to be the person that's going to make the sacrifice. I expect us in this room to make the sacrifices for those people. Those of us that are disciples, those of us that are mature in the faith, we are expected to make sacrifices for people that are coming along behind us, maybe that are lagging behind, maybe that are so weary from the burdens of their week that all they can do is, is, is struggle in here. Maybe all they can do is get to a small group during the week. We're here 
to say, this is a safe place for you, to welcome you. I saw this meme. Has anybody seen this picture before? Does anybody know what team, Jimmy, know what team this is? Buffalo Bills. Only because of the blue. Buffalo Bills. And I love this picture. These people, man, they're, I, what do you say? You know, you don't, there's no words to say. But there was a Christian meme that went around with this picture saying, yes, people can sit out in the cold and the snow for four hours and they can't come to church for one hour. to make. And at first it's like, yeah, why can't they sit for one hour if they fail? And, and as I thought about it, I'm thinking, wait a minute. These people are rabid. Buffalo Bill, what? Fans. They're already fans. They're already committed. They've already bought their ticket. You're not going to find someone that, I wonder what a football game is like. They're not going to sit out there in the cold for four hours. I wonder what team this is. They're not going to sit there for, I just, you know, I've been hurt by football in the past, so I'm just going to come and sit here for four hours in the snow. No, it doesn't work that way. These people are already committed to football. They're already committed to going to church. They're already committed. And I can't, should not expect people that are just like, oh, I wonder what it's like. Jesus, the Bible says he came enjoying life. The Bible says he came to, to, to lessen my burden, to make life to the full. I wonder what that's like. I can't expect that person to have the commitment of someone that has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And this is a place that welcomes people I want to know. I want to, I want to know the truth. I'm not convinced of it yet, but I want to know. And you are the people to lead people to the Lord. And you're going to see that in the next couple of years. You leading people slowly by slowly by slowly to a life-saving relationship with God. Amen. Amen. You are the people. This is the church that will do that. Thank you, Lord. The crowds that came and followed Jesus did not follow him because they were hungering and thirsting for God. They weren't. They were following Jesus because he would feed them. He would tell them good stories. People got healed. He, they would see demons scamper off into pigs. They were following him because they're like, wow, you got to come see this circus, Barnum and Bailey Circus. You won't believe it. That's why they followed him. And so Jesus didn't say, well, since you're not following me because I'm the son of God, go home. No, he embraced them. He loved them. He said, whosoever will. And after he gave his message, after he healed, after he touched, after he loved them, he went to the next town, and he did it there. The same thing all over again. That's why week after week after week after week, we meet here. We do the same thing next Sunday. We're going to be here next Sunday like we were last Sunday because this is what God has called us to do. This is our reasonable sacrifice. I came this morning at, I had been told, come at 9 o'clock because we have people that pray um, all the different groups, we have go teams, the people that do coffee, that set up chairs, that do the sound and that do the lighting and do the worship. And, oh, you won't believe. And so I stumbled in thinking I was on time, and they had already been there in, in a circle praying. And I, I apologized to Phil Chang, who heads up the team. I'm like, I thought I was on time, but I, I guess I wasn't. They were there prepared so that you can sit here in comfort. They're willing to be inconvenienced so that you can sit and listen to the gospel being preached and for all the people that you bring coming forward, going forward. I love it. If our passionate attempts to help God result in shooing away people, result in writing off people because they're, they're, they're behind, they can't quite keep up, 
They can't get up at five o'clock in the morning to have their devotions. They can't write in that new journal that their wife gave them to, to, to journal all their thoughts, their innermost thoughts. They can't listen to a podcast every day to and from work. They just can't cut, quite keep up with all the extra things they think are expected of them. Jesus came for those people too. And if we can't be bothered with people that are searching, with people that are disillusioned, with people that don't understand how magnificent God is, we disconnected from our Father's heart. We're his children, and we should look like our Father who said, whosoever will. Think about those men that thought they were doing God a service by terrorizing a young family. How did they get so far disconnected from the heart of God? The second way we try to help God, first way is to raise the bar for people unnecessarily, adding things that Jesus never commanded, but we've just tacked it on for good measure. So we build a fence to protect the fence that God has already set in Scripture. Now, I was so, so guilty of this. Um, I, the, the family I was raised in, of course, loved the Lord, served God. But alcoholism, not everyone in my family was saved. <clears throat> my family line, you know, aunts and uncles and grandparents. And alcoholism riddles our family line. Especially in my mother's family. There were wife beaters in my mother's family. Her, her sisters were married to wife beaters. And it always happened when they would come home drunk. And all the things associated with that. So my mother decided to put a fence around God's fence. Now, God has a fence established for alcohol. He says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he lists the things that we'll do when we're filled with the Spirit, as opposed to the things that we'll do when we're filled with wine. And the things that we do when we're filled with God's spirit, there's no law, the Bible says, against those things. Kindness and goodness, gentleness, and sowing peace. So my mother put up a very strong fence. Her fence was, don't touch alcohol. Stay away from alcohol. Alcohol is bad. And I don't falter for that. I, I, I certainly understand. And to this day, I've never acquired a taste for it. But I no longer look. Well, let me finish my story. When our, our dear son-in-law, Peter, came to live with us, he came enjoying life. I mean, he's Scottish, so they love their whiskey. They love their, their brews. They love all that stuff. And I was, for the first few years, I was just aghast. It was really all I could do. To, to, my world was, was turning upside down because I never saw him get drunk, but yet he was still drinking. And I, it was hard to reconcile because that fence was there. That fence was there in front of God's, God's fence was, don't get drunk. God's fence is enough. Don't you think he knows what's enough? Do we all agree that God knows what he's doing? Do we all agree that sometimes we think he needs help? 
And we think he needs help in the area that's, that's what we're convinced of. And I was convinced that alcohol was wrong. I still don't see a lot of joy or goodness out of it, but I'm not, I no longer have a fence there. I no longer will judge you if you're drinking. <laughs> My son. Yes. That fence, because when we put a fence in front of God's fence, and we tell people, well, this is, this is really what you shouldn't do. Because when you, when you drink, you're going to start getting, although, well, no, I won't get into that. I will say, although I've never had a counseling appointment that didn't, yeah. You know where I'm going, people. Okay, so let's see what the Bible says. How about that? Instead of my experience, let's see what the Bible says. Okay. Uh, run from sexual sin. Now, this is like a... Uh, 180. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Now, this ver- these verses are a clear indictment of what? You, you aren't supposed to what? Be involved in sexual sin. Everybody's kind of afraid. I don't want to say it out loud in church. We're to stay away from sexual sin. We're to flee. It said flee. It says get out of there. there, there there's no, I wonder what he means by that. If you're not married, you shouldn't be engaging in sexual sin. If you're married, it's not sin. If you're unmarried, it is. And it's, it's a clear line. And it's interesting, legalism, which is what the Pharisees were so guilty of, putting their own works as the way that they could earn favor with God. The works that they did, plus adding all the other works, to have favor with God rather than, of course, now we know that we need to trust in Jesus. But there's a logic to legalism. There is, because there's a natural outflow of, of what happens. So the, the, the logic here is, okay, so I have to honor God with my body, but my body is a temple. We've taken that indictment, that command to stay morally pure, and by logical conclusion, now we say, well, since our body is the temple, now I have to stay physically fit. Nothing wrong with that. I have to eat organic because it's the temple. Nothing wrong with that. I have to do whatever I have to do, like oils. And I've got plenty of oils sitting, gathering dust on my shelf at home. So all of these things I do, but none of these things are what he's talking about. We've taken and added our own rules, added our own fence around the fence that God had. God said, stay morally pure. This is, look, look, this, is, this isn't your body. This is my body now. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Stay pure. But we've added all these other things that are logical, but not asked for. And so we add, we keep raising the bar. We keep building fences. I think Paul would be very surprised to find out that his admonition to stay away from the temple prostitutes, and to keep morally pure has now been a biblical admonition to not ever gain weight, to not ever 
to not ever eat things that aren't pure, to not ever. There's a whole list, and you know what that list is. There's nothing wrong with that. My husband grows vegetables. We love to eat as, as healthily and as organically as we can, but it's not a rule in the Bible, and I'm not closer to God if I do it. And I'm not, not closer to God if I don't do it. And we add all these things, and so people are like, well, I can't be a part of that group. They all eat so healthily. I can't be a part of that group. They all um, try to live so simply. They, you know, they, they have one car, and they give all their money to the poor. I can't be a part of that group because they uh, go every other weekend to dig a well somewhere. I can't be a part of that group. And these are all wonderful things. And if the Holy Spirit touches your heart and tells you to do that, then you need to do that. But that's not a rule for anyone else to do if it's not in Scripture. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you don't hear something that I'm not saying, correct? Okay. If our passion and good works become the test to decide who is a genuine disciple, I've gone too far. I have gone away from the heart of the Father. Whosoever will. Now, there is, a, there is a bar that's too low, and that's not accepting the sacrifice that Jesus made. Talk about, we're talking about raising the bar. Some, some places lower the bar. They say, well, any old way you want to get to God is fine. Just be a spiritual person. Well, that's not true. There is one way, and Jesus said, I am the way, and that's what made the extra rule people go so crazy. Because he was saying, what, you mean I don't have to follow all those rules? I just have to believe that you are a king and that you are God's son and that you are the, the ransom for my sins. I can't, I, I, that's crazy. But we do the same thing. We have to listen to the right podcast. Nothing wrong with podcasts. We have to read something by Jonathan Edwards. Love Jonathan Edwards. All the dead authors, love them all. But if you haven't read any of them, I'm okay with that. As long as you're reading the Bible, as long as you're hungering and thirsting after God, as long as you want to know God, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Please read Jonathan Edwards. Please read Spurgeon. Please read Moody. But if you don't, I accept you. You're okay. And, I, and you have to accept me because I'm not athletic. Those of you that are wired differently, those of you that love to work with your hands, because Paul even admonishes the, Thess the Thessalonians. He said, you know what? You should make it, people at this church, Thessalon Thessalonica, you should make it your ambition to live a quiet life. What? I'm the head, not the tail. Don't tell me to live a quiet life. To live at peace with people. Well, I am contending for the faith. And to work with your hands. Well, you all see what happens when I work with my hands. This is it right here. And I thought I was being really brilliant to come up with this idea. And I am not kidding. Thinking, what can I have that looks like a stick? That's big enough that people, I mean, it's ridiculous. My husband, God bless him, he's a saint. He's a saint in shoe leather. Okay, we're closing up and Pastor David is coming. The commands that are clear in the Bible, like we read in 1 Corinthians, that's just one. There are clear commands. We, we can't do an end run around stealing, around lying, around ignoring the poor and walking past the needy, worshiping idols, putting other things in the place of God. We can't, we can't talk ourselves around. Those are clear cut. Those are black and white. 
But the Bible gives us so much freedom in other areas. And that very freedom makes the little legalist in us go crazy. Because when the Holy Spirit tells me something and convicts me personally of something in His Word, well, I just think that you guys... If you guys are really spiritual, if you guys are really praying, if you guys are really intellectually honest, you'll feel the exact same way I do about drinking or about going to a movie or about whatever other things that we do now. And that's not it. Jesus said, whosoever will. He came enjoying life. And I, as a church, we are positioning ourselves to explode in a popcorn in a good way. And God wants to use you. He wants to use your gifting. The way you're wired, the way he has gifted you, the passions he's placed in you are all needed for people that are coming. For those of you that feel like you're lagging behind, it's all you can do to get up in bed in the morning and get to work because of circumstances. You are welcome here. This is your church. For those of you like Amaris, she's on the front line. She wants to be the first one to, to lead the charge of the Light Brigade. She wants to be the first thing that does it and the, and the best. And I love that about her. This is your home. There's a place for you here. God made us all different. And I want you to know that you are welcomed here. The heart of the Father is to save, is to reach out. No matter what your personality, no matter what your gifting, no matter what your struggles are right now, the heart of the Father is to love you. And we want to do that here at Northwest.